0: Welcome to this edition of the Disciples Men podcast with your hosts, Greg Alexander and Alex Ruth. Thank you for joining us as we explore the many challenges of being man of faith in these challenging times. Disciples Men is a ministry of Disciples Home Missions of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in the U.S. and Canada. Let's listen in today's conversation.
1: Welcome to the Disciples Men podcast. Glad to have you with us on this episode. We have a special guest with us today and really looking forward to our conversation. In addition to our special guest, as always, we have our director of Disciples Men, Greg Alexander. Good to be with you, Greg.
0: Good to be with you, Alex, and good to be with everyone today, especially looking forward to our conversation with a very, very special guest today and uh, we do have uh, as we've said a couple
1: times uh, a special guest with us the reverend Angel Johnson and she is the executive director of disciples women's Ministries. so Angel thank you for being with us today on this episode of the podcast
2: thank you both for having me i'm excited <laughs>
1: <laughs> these are fun conversations uh, that we get to have with uh, other uh, leaders in our uh, churches and in our denomination, and it is exciting to, to find out a little bit more of what's going on in the broader church. So uh, Anjo, why don't you start us off today by telling us a little bit about, um, you're fairly new to this role, um, less than a year, um, so tell us how you got to this point. Give us a little uh, feel of the, the background of what makes you you and, and kind of what's going on in your life and ministry these days.
2: Yeah. So I am a uh, second career ministry. I am originally from Birmingham, Alabama. I was born actually on a military base in Charleston, South Carolina, because my dad was in the Air Force, um, but grew up between Birmingham, Alabama, and the Virgin Islands, because my grandparents lived in St. Thomas, so wow. I, yeah, I spent my summers island hopping, and it was <laughs> 80 degrees on Christmas, so that, if you ever hear me complain about the cold, just know that that's why I have a <laughs> to warm weather, and I love it, so my favorite place is anywhere I get clear Christine waters, waters and powdery sand, yes.
3: <laughs> yes,
1: yep.
2: So I, um, like I said, grew up between Birmingham and the Virgin Islands, and I, um, shortly after graduating college at Alabama and m University, um, right outside of Huntsville, Alabama, Uh, began working in performance management for then Bell South. I was there when AT&T bought them out and took them over. Um, I transitioned out of performance management into financial fraud for the (laughs) cell phone division, right? So I have made a whole turn, Uh, (laughs) but in 2009-ish, 10-ish, I started discerning a call to ministry and I said, Lord, You made me a corporate person. What do you want me to do with church people? What can I do there? But God always has a plan. And so I quit my job um, at AT AT&T and moved to Vanderbilt, moved to Nashville to go to Vanderbilt uh, to matriculate through the MDF program with very young twin sons. I think they were about three at the time. And oh, so wow. that is just kind of a testimony of how God creates pathways and provides resources and sustains mind, body, and spirit. Amen
0: to that. Amen. Amen. <laughs>
2: because that, I mean, people thought I was nuts, but um it, it was a very strong calling. And so I just had faith that if God gave me all of this experience, God would find a way to use it in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I quickly became connected to New Covenant Christian Church in Nashville uh, under the leadership of Reverend Dr. Judy Cummings where I was ordained um, and I was the second woman to be ordained there. She wow. was the first female pastor. One of my colleagues and friends, Reverend Sharizna Jean-Marie, was the first woman to ordain there, and I was the second very short after. So it seems like I have been uh, breaking barriers and stirring up trouble <laughs> <laughs> for a long time, but it is what we call good trouble. So, you good. know, I, yeah. I've i enjoyed it. Um, After finishing Vanderbilt, I went to Charlotte and I matriculated through a CPE residency, which turned into an executive pastor position at a church there, a startup United Methodist Church. And I eventually found my way back to Nashville in 2016 to be uh, a principal organizer of NOAA, Mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, Nashville organizer for Action of Hope. And so I am a trained organizer. So I picked up all of this stuff
3: all yeah. along the
2: way. Um, and I even at that point, I was like, God, what are you doing? I'm a corporate person, but you call me in the clinical pastoral care, and God said, You're an administrative mind, you are justice-minded, and this is pastoral care for my people, because yes. yes. justice is a part of healing. And so that's kind of been my bit um, and it's my theological lens and uh, was offered a position and moved from Nashville to Memphis to be a staff pastor at Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church in 2017 and there um, was managing discipleship and outreach so yet another way to use administrative skills um, management and program building skills there while giving care to guys people in the community because the church is really supposed to be a living breathing thing not just sunday go to club meeting at 11 o'clock right
1: amen
2: Yes, and in August of 2021, I find myself sitting in this seat as the Executive Director of Disciples Women's Ministries. so um, I see how God is pulling all of those things together and putting yeah. me in this place, so it's been a great uh, first uh, several months here as I have been able to just kind of connect with women and other general ministry partners to say hey women are uh, doing a whole lot in the church and a whole lot in life how can we work together to support women in ministry yeah, um, clergy yeah. and lay and forward the mission of the church to be God's hands and feet on the ground so yeah. that is my easter speech <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: awesome I am. I am curious, uh, Angel. How uh, how women's ministry as a focus uh, became uh, kind of a priority for you?
2: Um, so, it is a funny bird being a woman in ministry. Um, coming from corporate, it, I I felt like I was in clergy corporate. Right, because mm. there is still uh, the big boys' game that you mm-hmm. have to play, and there are some particularities uh, that women in ministry, whether they are ordained or lay, that they face that we have to think about, that we right. have to decide on. Right, there are uh, conversations that we have to have that men just don't. Right. <laughs> Right, and so as I worked in Nashville under New Covenant, I was under a very powerful female pastor, right? Anybody that knows Dr. Covenants knows that she trailblazes unapologetically. Mm -hmm. And it really gave me a space to work out, uh, I am enough. I am just as good, if not better than my male counterpart. Anything they can do, I can as well. And I don't have to be uh, apologetic about it. And I don't have to be cautious about it because God has a calling on my life, just like God has a calling on everybody else's life. And it is mine to own, to love, to wrestle with, and to live out in a healthy way. And so I have kind of carried that with me. Uh, coming from a family of strong women who uh, took leadership positions in church, community, it is just kind of there. And so, having space uh, to address it uh, and address those particularities and those nuances that we women face uh, is a wonderful thing. So, when I work in community outreach and I work in organizing, when I work in congregational ministry or whatnot, The question is always, how is this affecting women? Mm. Why does this, how does it make it different for women? How does it make it harder, right? Because it's very rare that social situations, church situations make it easier for women, right? right? Uh, right down to uh, what kind of robe am I going to wear? Because I have to negotiate my body in a very different way. Um, why are you worried about the makeup that I have on as I preach? Just hear this word of God and go home. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so those kind of things. I always want to create space to have those conversations uh, for men to join in and say, "How can I support?" How do I help mitigate these problems, and how do I become a real ally? And for women that say, "This is what we're struggling with, and we're we don't want to uh, suppress that anymore, and we want to really deal with it so that we can move on." So,
1: yeah, yeah, the, the definitely the challenges that face women in ministry are uh, compounded to what men, uh, my, my male colleagues uh, face in ministry. Uh, it it's in my current role. I I do a lot of pulpit fill and and going in and preaching. And it's always an interesting conversation when I'm filling in for a pastor who is a woman, I have to have that conversation of, okay, what do you wear? Mm -hmm. Because I want to emulate that, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to give you the power. I, 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 I can walk into a room in t-shirts and blue jeans and say that I'm a pastor and people will believe me. Um, and you and other female colleagues, that's not necessarily true. There might need to be some kind of, whether it's clothing or something that shows that. Um, and, and that's, it frustrates me that that's still a problem in 2022. Um, but it is something that we, I, I think, definitely have to be aware of, and, and it's not just in ministry. Obviously, there's still a, a pay discrepancy in, in all of mm-hmm. all of our um, occupations.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and when we come across churches that are engaging the search and call process, yes, or circumventing the <laughs> search and call process, right? Because yes, that. Um, and they say, we don't want a woman, or they will not even entertain a right. profile from a woman for whatever it is. Um, we, we've been conditioned to acquiesce and cope in particular right. ways, right? So I do stuff like I wear makeup when I go to particular places so I can look older. Mm-hmm. And groaner, right? Because otherwise I have men that patronize me and try right. and parent me and tell me I look like a child. I just had that this weekend. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm 42 years old. I don't feel that young.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but but the way in which we have to even negotiate our yeah. camp, Right, it, it is uh, very different. Even if we did walk in as the pastor in jeans, oh, heaven help if the jeans are too tight, <laughs> or if you know, one too many curves are showing. But these are all things that we have to wrestle with in 2022. So it um, helps to have spaces like this to have these conversations and, and put it out there and say, and how do we come together to fix it?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, And I hope as we get to know you and work with you over time, Angel, that you will see that uh, Alex and I both um, have uh, a commitment to making sure that uh, this kind of playing field is, uh, is leveled for all and uh, any way we can help break down the uh, patriarchal uh, barriers and, uh, that we've all lived with forever. Um, we're certainly there, and they're looking forward to how we can partner with you in doing uh, that together.
2: Absolutely. I welcome it. I um, am enjoying this conversation already, so I can tell that we are going to have lots more (laughs) conversations like this. Uh, It is uh, only helpful to the kingdom and community of God when these kind of conversations happen, that that the people of God are edified and made better by it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'll speak for myself in this. I I won't speak for Greg. Uh, he does have a couple of years on me. Um, but I can see us getting into some good trouble together um probably Greg can come along for some of that too um <laughs> chaperone <laughs> oh. no not chaperone he's going to participate no,
2: gonna i just be know better to speak for him you're going to be a co-conspirator you're going to you be are. along with us yeah <laughs> exactly
1: thank you i'd love i'd love that role um so it, you probably have to have this conversation a lot. Uh, I know I do in in all aspects of my life in ministry. What changes have you seen in ministry to and with women um, in these last couple of years? How has COVID impacted changed? How has the uh, the climate in our society here in in north america u.s and canada how have the changes that have happened over these last few years um and, and throughout covid as well how have those impacted uh, the ministry
2: um so with just like a lot of churches a lot of ministries across denominations in and out of Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Uh, COVID brought Disciples Women's Ministries to a halt, um, mm-hmm. if not a very, very slow crawl. Uh, Couple that with staff transition, uh, at the beginning of COVID, uh, our program director left. Uh, My predecessor retired shortly thereafter, and then I came in August of 2021. So um, it has been a standstill, coupled with new opportunities for new ways to do ministry, coupled with and complexified by how women in general around the world, in the United States and Canada included, have been impacted by COVID. Mm. So, bivocational, trivocational, complicated grief, losses of all kinds, whether it's a family member, friend, loss of routine, uh, loss of church community because uh, they are adverse and not technologically uh, inclined. Um, Isolation, illness, death, just all kind of things and the standstill and the lockdowns and all of these other uh, prohibitions on us have uh, impeded the ability to process, which creates compassion fatigue, Mm -hmm. burnout, Mm -hmm. uh, confusion, anxiety, depression, uh, other physical maladies that are secondary to stress. So all of that. (laughs) <laughs> is what I have seen in, in my first few months in this role, and I have determined and decided that Disciples Women's Ministries, plus the, so, the geopolitical landscape is just burning right, Um, mass shootings, racial injustice, economic inequities, gas is probably a hundred dollars a gallon (laughs) by the time we get off this recording, it just keeps skyrocketing, so you have all these things, right, all these things, and so I started very early on asking the question, what is Disciples Women's going to do to respond, Mm
3: -hmm. so
2: programming, as I spend this first year or so cleaning up and assessing and doing some kind of administrative process, uh, course correcting, and and also reengaging women to say, hey, tell me what you need, what's on your heart, having listening sessions and and all of that, strategically planning to make sure Disciples Women's Program answers the call of justice, Mm -hmm. spiritual formation and renewal, and leadership development. Because with those three things, I think women can make an even greater impact without killing themselves in the process.
1: Right. (laughs) Right.
2: That part, without killing yourself. (laughs) And I I, I know that's a hard thing to say because ministry is hard, it's messy, because the world is hard, it is messy. But if I can keep one woman Right from going over the deep end, I feel like I might have done a good job.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: When I, I'm impressed with your uh, background and organization, community organization, and I see, I think I saw that you're a part of is it, is it, uh, the Gamiel or Gamaliel, Gamaliel Network. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, I was not familiar with that. Until I looked that up and saw the wow, what a great what a great uh, piece they do and it's neat that you're a part of that as a as an organizer coming into this position and then I'm asking this for Alex and I to learn a little something too uh, about this is where where do you see the best application of the organizer organizer side of you in moving beyond COVID into women's ministries into what your vision of women's ministries
2: mm-hmm. So one of the first things that you learn in organizing is relationship building and power analysis. Um, So for me, uh, for any community organization, ministry, church, denomination, or what have you, if you aren't in relationship uh, with the community around you, with people that you can partner with, um, you are an island by yourself and it renders you ineffective. Mm-hmm. So for me, relationship building, uh, just having opportunities like this to talk, um, to find out what uh, your stakeholders' self-interest may be, why do they do the work, and also understanding why you do the work, right? So I know why I do this work, and then figuring out where our interests align Mm-hmm. So that we can move forward with an agenda that uh, rearranges and even deconstructs systems that cause inequities. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be a little bit crazy as well to do this work <laughs> because it's an unapologetic work, right? And yes. you have to tell hard truths. And you um, are called, right, to hurt feelings of privilege and frailty, right? So whether that is uh, white frailty, whether it is age privilege, whether it is classism or xenophobia or homophobia, you're called to speak against those things. So you (laughs) have to be a little bit nuts. <laughs> and okay with people being mad. Or a
0: lot faithful. Yes.
2: A lot of faithful. Yes. <laughs> lot of faith. yes. And so you have to be a combination of all those things. So I see um, organizing, working mainly in kind of that relationship power analysis. Who who do I need to be a relationship with? And how can we work together to advance the agenda? Hmm
0: so that leads me to a second question and this is on an observation that may not have as much merit as it once did but um, i know we experienced this in men's ministry and i observed it when i was in regional ministry i think is that disciples women as an organization catered more to lay women
3: mm-hmm.
0: than it did and it wasn't well, a strong word is lay women participated more in the cwf than a lot of the clergy women mm-hmm. And, um, I never asked the question as to why, uh, that was the case, uh, but it's also true for men's ministries. We get far fewer pastors participating than we do laymen. And so I'm, I'm just curious as to, as you think about how you develop these relationships, do you see, uh, clergy women as a, as a primary focus of getting them engaged or, uh have they sort of written off disciples women as an organizational structure again I'm sure that's too harsh a word but I've, I've seen the gap over the years between clergy and laity in participating in our two constituencies and I'm just curious as to kind of where you are with that and how you how you want to address that
2: yeah i've I've noticed the gap but I was also uh come in contact with numerous, ordained clergy um, women who support the work of disciples women and so I, I don't know um, historically this was this was created for lay women and mm-hmm. you know uh, ordained women either by assimilation matriculation or you know relational contact have started participating uh, disciples women, ministry is a place for all. If you're a woman and you're a disciple, then you're a disciple's woman. And there is space for clergy ordained, there's space for lay, there's space for commission, there's space for elder, there's space for deacon, there's space for pastor, there's space for uh, gatekeeper, (laughs) there's space for everyone, um, and so there will be some programming and some initiatives that will speak to both, and there'll be some that deal with issues of clergy, and there'll be some that deal with issues of lay. I think there's space for everyone. Um, I yeah. have had positive response from clergy, um, female regional ministers alike, and, and so I, I just believe Uh, that that gap with the forward movement of the DW train, that gap will
0: close. Good. Good. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I think the women certainly have far, far more advanced in that than what the men have been. And our biggest issue is disciples, clergymen, fail to see the relevance sometimes of the work that we do. And uh, I haven't I don't think that's quite as true for women. uh, from my observation, but I also, you know, again, I I'm operating on some old history here too. I'm excited about what you're doing in the direction you're going. <clears throat> I,
1: I, I think part of it, um, at least from my perspective is the difference between, um, being, uh, a, a in a group that has had power traditionally and a group that has had less power traditionally or has been mm-hmm. disempowered. Mm-hmm. traditionally um where um it seems to me that in our uh, disciples women groups in the um alliance q lgbtq plus communities um it, that we have a um kind of a solidarity understanding that these are important because we have all been oppressed and marginalized
3: mm-hmm.
1: um and i say we there
3: mm-hmm.
1: As not part of those communities, um, but um, and I think sometimes in disciples, men we we suffer from the fact that we've been in privilege, um, and uh, the challenge uh, I think as Greg and I are experiencing is how do we um, work on dismantling and deconstructing that privilege in a faithful way um, mm-hmm. that that allows us to grow more fully into the kingdom or the community uh, of God here on earth.
2: So one part of being that kind of ally means that you speak up for us at tables that we are still fighting to get at, um, in rooms that we're not invited to, yet we're still trying to break down the door. Uh, Because it is is the character of the organization and the person who calls themselves an ally that shows up in those spaces, right? Mm -hmm. So it is one thing to say it to me, but when I see you living it out, it is a different kind of impact. Um, And advocating to create space for groups of people who have been historically marginalized and oppressed on micro and macro levels yes. right inside yeah. and out of the church and being intentional about having those conversations um, with those groups of people. Um, it just really irritated me when i got in this seat and i started having meetings and several people said and when you go to cabinet meeting and when you go to general board meeting and when you go to these other meetings don't cry
3: (laughs) Mm.
2: and i finally after about the third time said listen i'm probably more likely to make someone else cry (laughs) (laughs)
0: First and after my own heart.
2: That's not my story, so let's just stop right here. But just you know that whole you know don't go and they're gonna talk to you mean and I'm like yeah well I got words too. (laughs) (laughs) My vocabulary is very very wide and very colorful. (laughs) Whatever. So, and so having to have those conversations like that is no. ridiculous to me. Yes, yeah. I'm grown lady. Yeah. Right, I'm right. Sixteen year old boys, and I feel like if I can handle those two,
1: <laughs> yes,
2: exactly. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> just kind of this, just breaking that stigma. Yes. You know, and and you look young, so don't don't, you know, don't say too much. I'm like, listen, oh. I got a mouth. God gave me this mouth. My mother <laughs> said, I hope God finds a way to use that big mouth he gave you.
1: <laughs> Here it is. Here
2: it is. Right.
1: Amen. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so just like being intentional about breaking those kinds of behavior cycles, like you don't have to worry about me crying. What you do have to worry about is not doing your job when I'm doing my job because we're called to do this work together. And so, yeah, so it it is, have those conversations, be intentional. and, and, And when you don't know, ask. Yeah. It is okay to ask because it shows that you care enough to know the truth. It cares that you want to know the right way when you don't know, because nobody knows it all, but you can't tell me more about me than I can tell you about me.
1: Yes. Yeah. Right.
2: So honoring and respecting personhood. Mm-hmm. You know, so one,
0: one of the questions that we've been dealing with is, um, is that we're finding more and more of our younger clergy. And it's primarily younger clergy uh, uh do not see the value of gender specific ministries and uh you know they're they do not understand why the whole family or you know uh, uh, their spouse can't if if it's a married if, you know man and woman why the woman can't come to the meetings and uh again they make some wonderful points i'm curious as to you know kind of where you align at this particular point in your ministry about the need for gender specific ministries you know time with women alone and you know and the and bringing us all together
2: mm-hmm. from what i have observed from my time in this role it, it has been less about um we don't need gender specific ministry we need relevant mm. gender specific ministry so we as the ministry have to offer Uh, Bless, honor, and and let them own a piece of the ministry. All right. So I'm having this conversation with women, especially uh, DW leaders across regions who have been in their position uh, for 10, 12, 15, 30 years sometimes, and they're saying, we're tired. Um, But you have to be able to raise up the next generation of leadership. And that means they have to own a piece of the ministry,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? So they're not going to go to a soup and salad in the middle of the day, but they're going to do a yoga class on Friday evening.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You have mm-hmm. to allow them to build, help build the ministry table. Uh, yes. We cannot build the table, set the menu and get upset when they say, I don't eat that or I'm allergic to it. Right. right. Yeah right? Yeah. You say, here's some nails, here's some quartz, here's some wood, here's a kitchen full of food, build a table, set the menu, we bless it and we own it. Here's $5,000, here's $500, set something for a college night for women or for men, you know, Uh, and here's a budget to provide child care because we want the kids to be okay as well. Yes,
1: yes, right? And, and, yeah, and <laughs> That's, that's something that we need to uh, thank you for saying that. It's something I, I think we also need to keep in, in mind for men's ministries as well. In my experience, we've done better in churches that I've been in interacted with deeply. We've done better at providing child care for women's ministry events. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't do as good at providing child care for men's ministry events because... The underlying assumption: mm-hmm. Mom is home to take care of the kids.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, mm-hmm. if Dad gets a break, Mom should get a break too. You know,
2: yes, we need to, right?
3: <laughs>
1: right? <laughs> um, but it, it's a, it's those things that, that it's why these conversations, I think, are so essential. Mm-hmm. Um, is because you know we grow up in 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 a framework or, you know, standing in a framework and, and sometimes assumptions get made and they're just un unevaluated.
2: Well, look at public bathrooms, right? Oh, yeah. You go to a woman's bathroom, they have changing station, lactation rooms, feeding room. You go to a men's bathroom and if you see a changing station in a men's bathroom, you're like, oh, what is that? <laughs> I'm
1: glad it's there yes i I could use them when my kids were younger
2: yes and (laughs) how many times did you find one in a men's bathroom yeah it wasn't much so we are socialized and conditioned in these very um kind of nuanced uh sometimes very covert ways and it plays itself out in church right where we're supposed to be this equitable inclusive community uh, but there are things we just work off these social assumptions that we've been yeah. conditioned by, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now we have organizations in our culture that want to um, yeah. reharden, reaffirm uh, those things uh, in some very dangerous and, and disheartening ways.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We do, and so then the the. The issue becomes for us, how do we respond as the church? Right. How do you, me, us as the church respond to uh, the government's attempt to co-opt ownership of my body? Right. (laughs) Right. But I can go buy an AR-15 and kill kids in a classroom. Right. So we, we really have to be able to be clear uh, as the church, as general ministries of the church, how we want to live out who we say we are. Um, what does it mean when we say we're the Christian church disciples of Christ? We're a movement for wholeness in a fragmented world. So how do we define wholeness and how do we live that out on a day to day level? And how does that translate in our theological being, in our uh, exegetical lens, as we administer and manage ministries to people who are struggling with these things?
0: I I think that's absolutely right. One of the things uh, I've learned a lot, I serve a little church in my retirement, and I've learned a lot from this group of people. They're beautiful and tolerate a lot with me. One of the things that we've been talking a lot about is because uh, I'm in a very conservative community that these po- folks are, are uh, my people of my church are a little bit uh, aberrant from the culture in which they, they live. But uh, one of the things we've been talking a lot about is how the church seemed to develop faith and life as two separate categories. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we go to church and do our faith thing on Sunday morning and uh, maybe one other hour or two a week, and then we live our lives and hope that the church doesn't get in the way of the way we live our lives. And I think Mm -hmm. the church that, and I've been a part of that, I'll take my responsibility. I think the way the church has done and throughout my uh, 40 plus years of ministry is that we contributed to that sense of faith and life being two separate realities. Yeah. And um, I've been working really hard with this lovely group of people I'm privileged to serve and talking about how, how faith has to inform life. It forms our what we do when we go to the voting booth. It informs how we spend our money, our time, who we hang with, et cetera, and the challenges that we're willing to take on as a part of people of faith. And the justice component is always yes. ever-present in what yes. we must do. I, I am proud that Alex and I, the work that we've done, I think, has really done our level best to focus on how we bridge the two again how we make faith foundational to life and i i want to give a pat on the back a heartfelt thank you to the women's ministries i think that what i've observed from disciples women is that's always been present yes Mm -hmm. and um you know i think that part of the stuff that we're dealing with this awful stuff we're dealing with in our culture today is because and you know again the label it's really the men's issue is that we've allowed men to develop a life with faith and life separate issues Mm -hmm. that's why we don't that's why i can go to church on sunday and carry my ar-15 that afternoon you know do whatever i wanted to do yeah i don't see how the two connect and that's and that's something that we've been working hard to address and i think that the women have given us a model of how that can be done. And, and I look forward to see what you all continue to develop for us to help us in that way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that in a lot of ways, our faith has been weaponized mm-hmm. and politicized. Um, and you see these political fights playing out in faith community. Oh, right. Yeah. And I don't care who you vote for. I believe though that your faith should inform your ballot.
0: Amen, absolutely.
2: It should and it is very, um, it's straining. Uh, I live in a very uh, like upper middle class affluent neighborhood right outside of Memphis. Uh, It is predominantly white. The neighborhood is about 40 years old. Um, When we moved here a couple of years ago um, it was hot, so I, and we were in the middle of COVID, so really all my boys could do was go outside in our driveway, which is very long, with a basketball court, play ball, stuff like that. And my neighbor, who is uh, probably in his mid to late 70s, he came to me and he said, I want to let you know that your boys are safe on the street. Mm. Uh, the police in this neighborhood, in this municipality, have a, a very bad reputation. Right. Right. Uh, And he said, I voted for Trump, but it was about my money more than anything. (laughs) But I don't believe in his race politics. Um, He says, and I don't believe in weaponizing against skin. He said, I just don't. He said, um, and it is really sad when um, who you vote for. Uh, is an indicator of your level of racism. But I want to let you know that your boys are safe as long as I'm here. Mm. It was the strangest thing for me. I
3: was just, yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) I believe, you know, we had this conversation about faith and how faith informs life and how it informs politics and this whole thing about how faith has been weaponized and politicized horribly. And it was a very enlightening conversation. It was a hard conversation, but for him to even acknowledge, right? And yes. say, I understand what our mm-hmm. political climate is like and you and your husband are pastors and I, your boys are valuable. And mm-hmm. it is sad that I have to even come and say this to you. That when I see them in the driveway, I always open my window to make sure I can hear what's going on. Like it, it did my heart good, but it also made me very sad, right? And so it causes me to always question, like how how will this work that I do inform situations like that for people across the denomination who are experiencing similar things, right? right Right. to move in a neighborhood because you want to live in a nice place and you want your kids to go to a nice school but also have to be very wary that they will be mistaken for an intruder or something like that right right right. and then to have this conversation with your neighbor when they and they recognize how torn and fractured the faith system the political system the electoral system judicial system is and how it just all breeds a whole mess so our work informs that i hope that our work together yeah. will inform it yeah, yeah. amen so amen. to bridge that gap of faith and life because they're they are inextricably tied
3: yeah
1: yeah that was uh, uh one of the larger mistakes um that i think i i'm willing to call it a mistake it was a choice mm-hmm. i think it was the wrong choice um that was made uh, during my uh, youth because i i grew up in in a predominantly uh, more uh, conservative evangelical side of christianity um mm-hmm. through my teens and that there was this dividing line between sacred and secular um and when that when I started to uh, encounter the disciples and some of our sibling denominations around us, um, was when I really saw that the, that those categories were artificial. It
3: mm-hmm. was
1: yet another artificial binary.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Everything is both at all times. It's both sacred and secular.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so. Um, I, we're still recovering from some of that and that was 30 40 years ago that that was prevalent at least in my my experiences. so still recovering from that. but I think it's important that we continue uh, like we've been talking about continue that work of you know faith and life are intricately woven together
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're all recovering from something
3: yeah
2: right <laughs> that is what we call our embedded theology.
3: Yeah. But yeah. so when
2: yeah. we do the yeah. intentional work, that embedded theology uh, transforms into a deliberate and lived right Theology, right? Yeah. So we are all all recovering. From <laughs> yeah. something.
0: And, and I would
2: things
0: Yes and, and I would actually would phrase it a little bit differently, and this is again gospel according to Greg, because I think all of life is sacred. Yes, and the minute we begin to secularize that which is sacred is when we begin to exercise, however you define sin, and uh, uh, and I think if we could reclaim again, speak as an ecologist, you know, I think we, right. <laughs> and the uh, by not by not seeing all of life sacred, but not seeing God as a part of all that is, you know, not the totality of God. I'm, I'm a pantheist, not a pantheist. But seeing, you know, but not seeing the sacred side of all that is, because it is all of God.
3: Right.
0: Um, Then we get in a position of picking and choosing what we want to allow to be sacred and not. And if I choose not to let Angel be sacred, I have that. I've been told I have that right to say that as a white male. Right. That's the problem. That's the problem. Is I immediately desacralize that which God made sacred. Right. Right. That's sin. (laughs) I mean, that's sin. (laughs) Yes. Yep.
2: Yes, you are. Um, you are onto something. Um, what I picked up like a group of words at Vanderbilt that I was like, these are. This is my little box of favorite words. And when it comes to describing God, and one of those words is ubiquitous, mm-hmm. in and around everything. A part, like God it. is a part of everything. God is interwoven and integrated into every. Thing, every aspect, every living being, and that includes God's people, right? So God is a part of me and a part of you and a part of every living thing, a tree, a plant, a dog, a cat, a fly, pesky mosquitoes, God is a part of all of that. And so I, in that ubiquitous nature of God, then I, am, uh, I have a mandate Mm-hmm. Treat the other person is holy and sacred because that is a part of God.
0: Yeah, see the yeah. face of God in everybody. God. Yes,
2: yes, yeah. yes. It's one of the reasons why we're trying to train these boys of ours about being intentional about recycling because this is God's earth and you treat it with respect. And your children aren't going to have anywhere to live because you're going to trash it. Yeah, you know. Um, so I, I think you are right, handling things and people in God's creation with a certain amount of reverence and sacredness. Um, is a great start.
1: Jill, what do you see as being helpful for disciples men to know and, and to do in, in ways that we support the fullness that we've been talking about, the fullness of, of the community of God? Uh, in the world around us. How can we help support the ministry that Disciples Women is doing?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, keep having conversations like this. <laughs> and putting it out. Um, and as I create and put out programming, I am looking at a few few issues of justice that I am thinking you all can help partner on. Okay, yeah. Some of that is around gun violence, like yes. um Some of that is around um, mental health equity and disparities because there is a, a, a gender gap where mental health care access is concerned. And so as I bring those things up, just answer the phone and help parse it out.
3: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
2: <laughs> and you rally bet. up support of the men. You know, I've had a really good experience in the Christian church, Disciples of Christ, as I've moved from place to place. Um, but I think there's are some areas where uh, men really have to speak up right? You really yep. have to be able to put your voice on the line and on the mic
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, for things to change. Uh, and, and when men come behind and support women in this kind of work, it is that much more powerful because um, it is strange still for people to see men supporting mm-hmm. women and coming behind them, right? Uh, my husband has supported me, who is, I say, a much better pastor than I am. He is great. Um, But when I moved to to Memphis to take a job, I moved here and commuted a couple of days a week, and he stayed behind with our boys in Nashville to make sure all loose ends were tied up with his business and them for school. And when we tell our story about how we got her, people are like, "You moved for her job." It is still a strange thing. Yeah. Uh, so just be, just continuing to come beside us and behind us and support us, and speaking up. You know, when churches are saying we don't want to entertain women, you know, you as men have to say, "But why?" And you should. And you're not doing the process justice.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And if yeah. they do get women, they don't they don't want to pay us. They want to volunteer. They want us to be volunteer, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. full for that. I got bills to pay, and I got kids to feed that eat a lot.
1: <laughs> Especially sixteen year old boys. Yes, they do eat a
3: lot. <laughs> yes.
2: Yes. Yeah. So just continuing to to keep those conversations on the forefront and ask yeah. those questions and supporting us in those efforts is, yeah. is amazing.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I, I think you can get I know you can count on my support and I'm sure you can count on Greg's as well mm-hmm. um, as as we do this this work together because that's really what it is. It's work together um for the whole body of of Christ as expressed in the Christian church, disciples of Christ.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, it, 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 it's not like we were talking about, you know, faith in life. It's, it's not men's issues and women's issues. These are humanities issues.
2: Correct. 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 Just think about the women in your life and how they have played a part, right? So whether it's a spouse or your mother or grandmother, uh, think about their particular role in your life and what happens when they're not well. Yeah. What happens when mom catches the flu or, you know, grandmother is not well. What happens when uh, I go and travel for a week and I come back to my house, you know? So think about how those, um, how their level of wellness impacts your system. Yeah. Operate from that.
0: Yeah. That's a great, that's a great, uh, that's a great way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I know I've been a champion of women's ministry in yes. my years of ministry, and, and uh, after, you know, 27 years in regional ministry, that's uh, that was one of the great gifts to me, is the privilege of being able to champion, you know, clergy colleagues, our, our, our clergy women in, in ministry. And yes. I've fought the battles, I've said at those uh, search and call tables, advocating, you know, for women and people of color, uh, you know, uh, as uh, reminding reminding search committees that uh um, you know the reason why they're not growing and and uh, continue to decline is because they keep hiring people that look like me yeah and uh, and think like me and act like me in some sense and uh, you know if you really want to you really want to get the attention of people in your community don't hire a white guy <laughs> You know, because we've sort, of, we've sort of played ourselves out. We yep. don't have nothing. I mean, it's not that we don't have anything to give, but we don't have anything earth-shattering to give. We're not bringing a new look, a new spirit, a new whatever into the context. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, I, you and I both, Alex, have had marvelous experiences. Our spirit, the spiritual part of us is so much richer and deeper now because of our interaction and our friendship, our love for women, people of color, uh, you know, uh, just the whole variety of God's creation has, yeah. has in, we've allowed those those gifts and graces to help shape and form us. Yeah. And for a congregation to say, no, that's not something that we want in the world, you know, at any given time, but especially in our world today, it's just absurd. I mean, you're just, you just might as well hand your deed over to somebody else because you're ceasing to be the church. Yeah.
2: Right. We have to look like what we want to attract. Right. We have to look like what we want to attract. I cannot in good conscience say I want younger women. I want women with families. I want uh, ethnically, racially, economically diverse group of women uh, helping lead the charge in this network. But I keep putting the same thing up in leadership positions. Right. Um, I think even with my hiring, is a step in a new direction. I'm deployed, which has historically not been the case. I'm uh, young compared to um, the demographic, and I'm also not white, right? Um, And so I think we are making steps, right? But as somebody who's not older who's not white and who is younger right i count on my general ministry partners to have my back and say no listen to her and we support her and we support this work uh because there is a particular response that i get
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) well you can i get well, you absolutely have the office of disciples, men's support. We have your back, uh, Alex yep. and I do for sure. And uh, that's uh, something I hope that, you know, you can count on. And, yes. uh, and we know you'll have ours as yes. we do the right work.
2: Absolutely. You can count on me to make sure to say, don't mess with them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and also to
1: hold us accountable, you know, yeah. Yes. Yes. If, if we start straying off the path, uh, I, You've been invited. (laughs) If we start to stray off the path, you let us know, please.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, so that is the power relationship, right? We support one another. We champion each other's causes. We also hold each other accountable to make sure we are true to the cause, right? Right. Um, and, and, and we do that in truth and in love as God has told us, um, I said yeah. this morning, I said, you know, the church has gotten away from truth telling in love and we have to be able to tell a prophetic truth. So I, um, absolutely welcome you all holding me accountable as I hold you accountable because we're doing this work yeah. together.
0: Together, yeah. yeah, Amen. We absolutely are. Mm-hmm. Well, Angel, we are thrilled to have you as a colleague in ministry in your eight-month-old position now as a uh, director of disciplesman Ministries. And and I know DWM is thrilled to have you as our executive. Uh, and, yeah. um, and so we we so look forward to finding all kinds of beautiful ways to partner, work together, support each other's ministries, and uh, and hold each other accountable, as we've just been discussing. And uh, we can't thank you enough for the time you've yeah. given us today. Uh, and we hope there are more conversations we can have as the yeah. situations warrant more time together. So thank you so much for giving us your time today.
2: Thank you for having me. It's been great. I look forward to having more conversations like this. This is uh, one of my favorite things is being able to have these kind of conversations because out of these conversations, um, yeah. solutions and creativity yeah. and impact and right. And at the end of the day, I want whatever I do to impact positively. So yeah. Amen. Yeah.
1: Amen. Amen to that. Thank you again, Angel. Thank you, Greg. And we'll see you all next time on another edition of the Disciples Men Podcast. Have a good day.
0: Our special thanks to our good friend, the Reverend Dr. Dean Phelps, for providing the special music of this podcast. You can discover more of Dean's music at DeanPhelpsMusic.com. And you can learn more about the ministry of Disciples Men on Facebook and through DisciplesHomeMissions.org.